Episode 6 of The Ins and Outs. Today is our final episode. It's a season finale. It's the episode where we answer your questions. Cheers, Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Drinks. It's actually a mailbag. Just picked it up in Sainsbury's before you got here, so it's nothing fancy, I'm afraid. I know I did promise you a Montepulciano. You talked a big game and then here we are. It's a nice drop. Last week, I schooled you. You schooled me. On on planting colours for, for the seasons. Yes. What have you done since? Have you done anything in the garden? I haven't. No, I, ha- I haven't, but I sort of have. Because I bought one of those... Um, we, that's what we did. A ger, a ger, auger. Auger. I bought yep. an auger, a t- twin head auger. That arrived. Haven't ordered my bulbs. Twin head? It's got diff- two different sizes. One I thought you meant it was like a double-ended. Oh, that would be good. Did like you not know about that one? Anyway, I got a double-ended auger. <laughs> Good. Yes. Okay, look, that's copywriting that. That's not for sale yet. Copy it. Don't, no. Don't you go stealing that from me. Uh, it is actually two separate parts. I'm not going to claim one the double-ended. One big, one small. One big, one small. In preparation for my bulbs, which I haven't ordered. You're going to be left with the yellows, my friends. You're going to get the <gasps> yellows and the reds. Is it really like that? Once they're out, they're gone. Once yeah. they're gone, they're gone. Yes. It's you're just left with, the, you're left with the dregs. Yes. Okay. All right. I'll go get You're it. playing with fire. But I really loved in your guide, it actually says that I'm going to get flower in January with some of them. I can actually put something in now that's going to flower in January. Only yeah. if you fucking planted <laughs> don't swear. Do sorry don't swear i'm glad swear okay yeah. fine so uh, you've bought an auger for planting of the non-existent bulbs i'll be furious when i haven't done it next year i'll be furious with you too what have you been doing at home because you've just moved house i've largely been polishing turds it's pulling up red carpet oh god i mean the carpet everything is from the 60s it's all a bit gross i painted the kitchen just so that i didn't have to look at it for the next year before i renovate and it's not that much better no. It's not that much better. You're polishing turds. I, I am. And I've mm. replaced the carpets and it's a very nice carpet, but everything else just looks a bit shit round it. You know yeah. that old saying, you do up one room, it makes the rest of them. Uh, this, is, this is my life now. Do you know when you first move into a new house, you get the keys. It's so easy to want to rush into doing it all. And you've just got to take a few big deep breaths and think you can't do it all. So just do the bare minimum that's going to not cost you a load of money and just accept that over time you will be doing it. There are some things that are small wins, like pulling up red carpets, but there are other things that you might just be better off just not doing and leaving. Well, I'm quite excited about today because today we are doing a quick fire. Andy, you're going to fire questions at us that have come into our mm-hmm. ins and outs podcast Instagram. There has been so many. We, we're not going to be able to cover them all. Okay. But we'll hit some of them. There's been hundreds. I'm really excited. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Oh, there's some fun ones. There's some fun ones. Okay. There's some fun ones. There's some interior, there's some exterior, there's some business. Okay. Okay. This one's from <clears throat> Kate Elizabeth. When painting a room, I don't know when to paint the skirting and coving the same color as the walls or do them differently. And okay. is it generally best to match your trim woodwork to the ceiling color? Smiley face. A, f- a few rules here. If you don't have any coving, you want the wall color to run up and over the ceiling. Can we just clarify? Coving. Mm-hmm. Let's coving. just go back to basics. Course. Bit woodwork bit in the top. Yeah. Cornice coving. Cornice coving. Same thing. Um, huh. In the states they call them trims, I think. But it's the bit of plaster or timber that's moulded around the corner Great. that meets where the ceiling meets the wall. And the reason it's usually there is to add a detail and hide any discrepancies in the ceiling and the wall so that you don't get wavy lines like this great if you don't have a coving or a cornice you want to take the paint up and over so that you don't see this wiggly line because imagine if you had a slightly uneven wall and then you painted it green and then you had a white ceiling you're going to literally sit there and see a wiggly line so rule one if you don't have a cornice slash clothing slash trim you're going up and over mm-hmm. even if it's a bold color if you're going with like a really deep green yes just, just, yes okay so I, te- I tend to say if it's a n- very neutral like this, a sort of lovely off white, take it all the way up and over, even onto your coving and up and over. Okay. I, I tend to colour wash 
all the way up the ceiling onto the coving and onto the, you know, onto the ceiling. Fine. However, if you're going to go with a darker colour on yeah. your walls, then I would stop it, but I would take it onto the coving. The reason being, what a lot of people do when they have a colour, say, let's go green again, is that the coving would be white. They leave the, they, sorry, they leave the skirting boards white. Yes. The walls are green. Yes. The coving is white and the ceiling is white. And yes. what you then do is create this band of green around a room, which is like neither here nor there. Okay. So you want to go for it, take it down onto the skirting and then onto the coving and then you can leave the ceiling bare. But just take, go, so you from go floor to quite literal ceiling. Yeah. If you have detail, go for it. And if you don't have detail, yeah, all the way over. Yes. I tend to say if you're doing a colour, like a a dark colour, always ensure that your skirting boards are also dark. It doesn't have to be the same colour, the green, but always go dark on the the skirting boards as well. It doesn't look good when you've got a white skirting board and then you've got green walls. That is why my hallway looks so shit. New carpet. Yes. Magnolia walls and white skirting. It's not good. I didn't do that. I would just like to clarify. <laughs> you want, and also, if you've got a lovely light colour like this on the walls, yeah. you could then go a couple of shades darker on the skirting boards oh, to help lift from the skirting board up. So general rule is you don't want your skirting to be a lighter colour than your walls. Exactly. It's the same or darker. Exactly. What else did Kay Elizabeth ask? She asked something else in there as well, didn't she? Mm. She said, does, should the curtains <clears throat> match the drapes? <clears throat> should, the cur- should the ceiling do match the... Do you want to... Do your curtains match your drapes? <laughs> I think they do the top, but not the bottom. The top I can't like... decide how to answer the question. Do you have any drapes? Do you have do any you curtains? Have any curtains? <laughs> this is my curtains. These are my curtains. These are your curtains. And these are my drapes. <laughs> I do not. Cheers. Oh, does it interfere with the rest? Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And so, is it generally best mm. to match your trim woodwork to the ceiling colour? I should add that there is no general <laughs> stop laughing about your curtains and your drapes. Stop it. I know now I'm thinking about your, what they look like because of your hair colour. Okay. Sorry, general rule. Go ahead. When it comes to colour, everybody feels differently about colour. Some people like tomatoes. Some people don't. Some people like marmite. Some people don't. Colour is the same. I'm not here to say don't like a colour. I'm just advising on what colours work best where. If you have a navy sofa and you love your navy sofa, then good for you. That's great. I'm not here to tell you to burn your navy sofa because I don't like it. But I would say it's a very difficult colour and it's a difficult object to make look inviting and cosy and warm unless the entire room around it works well that's it's what you've said about greys as well you said difficult. that you find grey very difficult to to match with things it so is uh, uh, it's 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 a dictator it's a color oh, dictator the Gaddafi of colors yes it is so it's just like, on that just on that what you're talking about that because jody bargen's got a question loving the podcast what is wrong with gray carpets and what basic color would you go for if you needed to lay one when moving into a new house well jody what is right with gray carpet oh I know, but I'm sorry, I just don't see anything right with it. It is a dictator. It is going to dictate to you what you put down everywhere else. So I would say if you move in somewhere and it has grey carpet and you don't want to pull it up, and I agree, no one wants to be wasteful and just throw something in the bin if it's brand new. To all developers out there, please consider when you're putting carpet down in new developments to just veer away from grey because it's a dictator. Um, but the colours that you can bring in, if you want to warm it up, you just can't bring in any sort of anything with like a warm, sadly, you can't bring in any sort of browns. You can go black. You can bring in navies. You can bring in yellows. Green's a really nice colour if you've got grey. Bring in green. But you're slightly dictated to your hard furniture is going to be quite hard to bring in. Off the back of that, there's been another question. How do you warm up a grey and white house without starting from scratch it's from connie so many questions on gray if you are living in a house that has gray and you can't replace it the things to do to introduce warmth is through color but you have to think about the colors that you're going to use my number one color to use with gray to introduce some warmth would be green 
strangely, but not when I say green, I mean green, green. I mean like a olive greens. Yeah. So what does grey like? Grey likes black, white, green, blue, yellow and pink. Those colours are complementary to grey. You can use muted versions of those Mm. in furniture and then white will help brighten the grey. So where you might have, say you've introduced a pink sofa, like a lovely blush pink sofa on grey will work nicely. Then bring that kind of pop of colour is needed and sort of perhaps off-white cushions. But the off-white won't be able to be an off-brown white. It will have to have grey in it. Cool tone. So all the white, all the warmer whites, you need to have a grey undertone. This one's from Alex. We have an office at the end of the garden. Where do we put the path? I love this question. Such a great question. So, um, and this is the scourge of Pinterest as well. You do not put it down the middle. There's a desire in English gardens for them to be symmetrical. It seems to be like a real thing. And so they're like, I just put the path right down the middle. And all that's doing is creating two awkward halves, which you've then got to figure out what the hell you do with. And that is when you're like, oh God, I need to make my garden exactly symmetrical because I've essentially put a big old line down the middle. Always put it to the side so that you're not robbing your lawn of its one natural shape. I think in gardens, we're always trying to create one cohesive shape for your lawn. We don't want you having lots of bits of lawn. We want one generous one and then you hand the rest to planting. So put it to the left, put it to the right. It doesn't need to be the path of least resistance, interestingly. So we will often change the direction of travel. It makes for a more interesting view. So you're saying always stick your path to the sort of off the front, off the door that you're coming out of, but then almost wind off to the left or the right. Yeah, definitely. Not fill up the whole garden. This is from The House in the Shire. Would you give any tips in your podcast on how you started your business and how you managed to employ your first employee? That's a great question. We talked a little bit about how we started businesses in episode one. We did. That's probably the best listen for that initial start of sort of after studying. Jojo went into a studio. I started my own studio straight away. But I think the really interesting time in any business owner's business journey is that time when you need to take on your first employee they are massive and for me it actually came I was working with a graphic designer actually on on the website she was very experienced in terms of business growth and what she said was Polly if you're finding that you are so busy that you're starting to drop the ball it's time to start outsourcing you must start outsourcing Mm -hmm. and what she meant by that was to to start employing people to help me and it just hadn't crossed my mind to start working with others. I was very much like, no, this is my studio. I, it's, you know, I'm, I'm the designer. And actually realizing as soon as you start outsourcing and, and, and sharing the, the workload with fellow employees, or it might be that you want to start with freelancers if you're new to the game, but even your administration, even just easing the burden of your administration by bringing on a PA or a virtual PA or an accountant who's going to deal with the money side of things, but actually reaching out and Bringing people in to help you is one, how your business grows, which I think can feel quite scary to start with because it's a cost. Mm. And it's that feeling of if I hire someone or if I have to pay someone to do something that I was doing, will my business fail? But it won't. It will thrive. It will grow. That's how businesses grow. I also think it's a giving over the responsibility of what you've grown yeah. as a baby and you've nurtured and looked after and it's got you all over it. And then suddenly you're handing that responsibility to someone else. And it's letting go of that sort of feeling of the fi- control. Control. It's letting, yeah. go, it's letting go of control. But when you do, oh my gosh, it's the best thing ever. It's learning how to and when to delegate. Mm. If you're wearing yourself out and you're wearing yourself too thin and you're not giving your clients 100% of you, then it's time to start looking for help, yep. I would say. That's the time. And know your worth, know your value, which is what, Charlotte said earlier what I said to you in episode one yeah believe in yourself and then clients will believe in you too and when they do you should be commanding the right amount of fees that will happily allow you to employ really good staff and good employees to help you and grow your business you can't be good at everything no absolutely not so you need to get outside help whether it be finance or HR or admin or design or you know drawing or whatever technical whatever it is the likelihood is you're not going to be able to do all of those things and every single one of those is an expert is an expertise an expert an expert in itself yeah expert 
Um, and therefore it's, you know, lean on people. There are people out there, you know, that would, that you just got to find your match. Finding your match is a, is a really important thing as well. When you have a small studio, you know, this, that first hiring that you make is absolutely key. Yeah. Um, and the smaller the studio, the more vital it is that you find someone that fits with you personality wise, actually, as much as skill set. Totally. But I think the trick is to actually sit down, look at your business and figure out what it is that you love to do in it. Don't hand over that bit, hand over the bits which take up a lot of time, which give you no joy. Mm. Administration, yeah. finance, I don't know. Well, you know, it depends, it depends what you love. love those. You, might, love you might absolutely love that, in which case hold oh. on to that and, and outsource mm. the rest. But it's a big step growing a business and starting to delegate work, introduce others to clients. It's, uh, but it, it takes bravery, but you can do it and, and you, you will thrive. It. A question from Julia Howe Bailey. Is a feature wall a bad idea? It's a no from me on a feature wall. I find it a bit early 2000s. Should we just clarify what a feature wall is in case someone doesn't know? A feature wall is where you might paint your whole room white and Mm. then one wall behind the bed will be dark blue. Oh, moody. That is a feature wall. Okay. that a feature wall. I don't like it. Same if it was a wallpaper on one wall? So same. Is that same? I'm not asking if you like general, it. Is that also general, a feature wall? Yes. Okay. Yep. Go on. Uh, if, if you're going to do, for instance, a feature wall of panelling behind a bed and you don't want to panel the whole room, but you're p- panelling behind the bed, that's okay, but paint all the walls the same colour. But in general, I would say no to panel, no to feature walls. I find them just a bit, I don't really get it. Either go for it or don't go for it. I don't really like them. But again, it's my opinion. You've said no to feature walls. However, I feel like we had a conversation just last week where I said, is it okay if I paint my son's room with a dark blue? And you said, just do it on one wall. As I said in the colour episode, anything goes in kids' bedrooms. I like to get kids involved Mm -hmm. in the process and in the decision because kids have an opinion on colour and they know what they like. And okay, you might not want to be repainting every year or so. So again, take that colour and tone it down. But feature walls in kids' bedrooms are totally fine. I kind of put feature walls in the same bracket as hanging chairs and short curtains. How do you feel about typography and decor? Is there ever a situation where you would allow it? What about a Christmas cushion that said ho, ho, ho? Nope. (laughs) Nope. What about if it was a Ginsberg cushion? Those are very cool. No, they're not. Oh. No, there's no, there's no place that that is allowed. Unless it's in a kid's bedroom. See, in kids' bedrooms, you can have like fly me to the moon. Even if, <laughs> even if you don't have children, why don't you in your room, in your house, have a room that's for children? Just for you. So you can have all those things. I don't want any of like this, Like a playroom. To clarify. Like an adult playroom. I do not want any of this. Like, I just ask the like, questions, lady. You are beautiful in neon. Thank you. Oh, I've got a really good story for that. I can't say that on here. I'm not going to say his name, but it rhymes with James Hunt. And he, um, I went to his house in Ibiza with some friends. And he has this really, really cool dressing up, like enormous walk-in dressing up cupboard. Same. Just anything you want. Like if you want to dress like a teacup or a gnome or a sparkler or like a Christmas tree. Honestly, the coolest setup I've ever seen down by his pool. And at the end of the pool, it's got this neon sign that says, you are beautiful in pink. It's pretty cool. That's allowed. I'll give James Hunt that one. He's allowed. That's allowed. He wrote a fairly famous song that's got that in it. Please don't tell me you just, please don't tell me you just said that. I just deciphered the code. Oh my God riddle me this what i want to know is what did you dress up as i've probably still got the picture somewhere actually i hope it's something hideous share that. we could share that i absolutely love it when um i'm not a big fan of sort of slutty sexy costumes i like i like no, to look revolting silly. like a giant croc <laughs> a giant what <laughs> so i saw someone is going for so halloween halloween as a giant croc and i thought well that is my nightmare that is so, that so is, funny for me, scarier than I would a, much rather because you'd have such a giggle. Imagine going to a Halloween party dressed like a pair of crocs, a shoe, yeah, like or just something so stupid and unattractive because you could actually just have a lot of fun rather than trying to be like awkwardly sexy, like Mean Girls. Yeah, yeah. Should we go to a Halloween party? Should we go trick or treating? We've answered no questions. We're talking utter rubbish. Leah has a question. My question for the pod is for Polly, please. I would like to plant a lavender hedge, but I'm overwhelmed by the varieties. Mm. Oh. Lavender head coat. 
That's what I would use. It's a, it's a great one. It's one we use loads. It's brilliant if you want to do it as a hedge or if you want to um, edge any kind of path or driveway. Just make sure it gets at least six hours of sun. We've talked about this before. People love putting a lavender in shade. That's not the one. It needs a minimum of six hours of sun along paths, along driveways. And it's quite a polite, uh, well-behaved one. It's sort of 70 centimetres, so it's not absolutely massive. You will need to prune it twice a year. What sort of soil does lavender like? Free draining. So think about it, it's a Mediterranean plant. When someone says free draining, I actually don't know what that means. So if you were to dig a hole and pour water in it, you would expect the water to seep Mm -hmm. out. If you dug a hole and poured water in it and just sort of sat there, you've probably got very heavy clay. And essentially, if you imagine if it rains really heavily, the lavender is just going to sit in that wet, wet ground. And it's a Mediterranean plant. So if you're going to plant anything like lavender and you have a clay soil, whack in a load of organic matter. Okay. That's what we would say. So that would be sort of manure, compost. Mulch Mulch is what you put on the surface. So it means sort of compost or well-rotted manure. Okay. Uh, Organic matter. But you could add some sand as well. Basically, what you're trying to do is open up the earth so that water will run through. So make sure it's sunny. Make sure there's plenty of drainage. Okay, great. Lavender head coat. Can't go wrong. Nell's messaged in. She wants to know how to sell her house and garden. What should she do? Um, Okay, garden perspective, what you want to do. I think people can be a bit blind to the garden and just think, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, they're coming to look at the house, not the garden. And I would completely disagree with that. Most of the people that I work with say they bought the house for the garden. So I think it's really small things and it's, they're no brainers. I think the same applies to the house. Get rid of your crap, declutter. So you don't want there to be loads of pots and garden crap and kids Mm -hmm. toys everywhere. You can certainly have an area which is a play space because it might ignite in imaginations if you've got a family home, you know, that sort of you're selling a lifestyle, but the neat and tidy, mow the lawn, get rid of the crap and also try and set it up uh, so that it's slightly aspirational, even if it's a doer upper. So set out your furniture in such a way that it looks like you could sit out there to dine or to cook or to just chill out. And that's as simple as just before the viewing, put cushions on your outdoor sofa or mm-hmm. get the get a tablecloth if you've got a table and you just want it to look slightly more aspirational. It's really small things in the garden. The trick is to try and sell a lifestyle. So neat and tidy, no clutter, and just do some really small things such as if you've got big holes in your fence, for God's sake, repair it. Just or mow the lawn. We definitely mow the lawn. Definitely mow the lawn. Definitely mow the lawn. It would be the same, I think pretty much the same answer for the interiors. Yeah. From the moment you put your key through the door and that person walks in the door, the first impression they're going to get is it needs to be clutter free. Mm. Keep it tidy. There's something psychological about walking into a house. And I always remember as a kid, my parents were selling our family home at the time. And my mum was a bit of a, you know, she's a bit of a clean freak, a bit like me. And she likes things in order. She just likes things to go back where they belong. And I remember we, she would do things like she would, um, you put a piece of toast down. The smell of toast is a really welcoming smell and little oh, things like that. You, you want somebody to feel like their home. If you walk into a room and the bed's unmade and it smells funky and there's a pair of tights hanging on the end of the bed, you instantly recoil and you actually just want to get out of the room. You're almost not looking at the room. You're looking at the stuff in the room because you're us fascinated little human nosy brains are looking around going, oh my God, what is that on their bedside table? Or you're actually thinking, oh, this is really dirty. So just tidy it up, get rid, get rid of the clutter. And then from an interior perspective, I mean, you don't want to go and spend a load of money when you're selling a house. Yeah. But equally, you do need to put money into certain things that are obviously going to help. But if you were a real colour fan and all of your rooms were, I don't know, very bright yellows and oranges, would you just say paint it all white? Or would you just that, like, yes. People can see that. People can see through that. Well, it, but it also depends because if, if the house is, if the rooms, if it does have a yellow room and it's furnished and you're showing the house, it's better to show it in its true light with the furniture yeah. that works in that yellow room. If you suddenly are stripping the furniture and it's an empty house, then I would say paint all the rooms off white, get some cheap paint and just paint everywhere right. to get it looking neutral. So that you're walking around and you're you're appreciating the spaces as opposed to what's in the spaces. Sometimes when people are viewing houses, they can't see past how the room is set up. Mm. So they might walk into a living room and the, and the positioning of the furniture might be really odd. It might all be, if you walk sort of into, a, say, a big living room and the door is in the centre of the room, the sort of back of the room, and you've got a sofa over there and then you've got another sofa over there and then a TV in a really odd place. People walk in and they think, how's this going to work? Oh, I don't know. I don't like the setup of this room. 
It's a funny, funny shape, this living room. Not sure about that. It's a bit odd. So those sorts of things, you might have realised that that's how you like to live there. But actually, people like to see, again, symmetry. They might actually want to see a sofa with two chairs and see that they can Mm. fit it all in that Mm. space. So maybe a bit of rearranging might be a good idea too. But don't go spending loads of money. I wouldn't spend loads of money. No, Keep it tidy. Mm -hmm. Declutter. I think this one could be from Aoife, but I'm not sure how to say it because it's Irish. I think it's Aoife. Aoife? How to hide a trampoline. We've got two options here. You call them something funny. Bouncing prison. Bouncing prisons. I mean, I love a trampoline. I have a trampoline. I have two boys that are exercised on on said trampoline. So, um, worn out. Yeah, but but I do absolutely worn out. Yeah, but I do think the best thing you can do is try and make them not the focal point. So even in small gardens, you can do this. We actually just put a trampoline into a very very compact London garden, and the way we did that was we sunk it into the ground which I know people get very nervous about, but we always keep the net around it. So that keeps the kids safe. Obviously, if you take the net away, then you have the risk of sort of bouncing onto something outside of the trampoline or something hard. Mm. So you can still keep the net, but sinking it means that rather than it being at eye level, it's down there. Um, And then we trellised in front of it and painted the trellis dark, very, very dark green. And instantly, boom, you cannot see there's a trampoline there. It's vanished. So one of my favourite things to do is to move the trampoline further away into the garden. And I appreciate if you have young children, I know that most people want to watch their children on said trampoline. And in which case, maybe have one that's above ground that you can see. And then when the time comes, when they're a bit older, six, seven, eight, then you can push it further away. I prefer to sink it. And then we put hedge in front of it or trellis or fence or just something which basically hides the trampoline. It's it's that simple. It's as soon as your kids are old enough that they don't need constant supervision. The goal is to take it away from being a focal point. A question from Clara Hammer. Hello. Hello. Hello, Clara. I have a topic I would love to hear your thoughts on. Wallpaper. Are you a fan? How do you choose wallpaper? How do you decide whether to paper the whole room or not? If going for a floral paper, how much? How to match with curtains? I'm so happy. I am a huge fan of wallpaper. Love wallpaper. Wallpaper. Oh, absolutely love it. But it's certainly something that is client. So clients love it or they hate it. And sometimes you have to try and push clients into it. Kids' bedrooms, we always tend to go with wallpaper, especially little ditzy prints. So ditzy, ditzy prints means small. Little when flowers. You go, or... Yeah, little ditzy flowers. and Whereas a little sort of think like grandma's wallpaper, the bigger the print, the harder it is to use. The bigger the print, you'll need to use it on a very square, straight walls. Uh, we love using wallpaper in lofts, for instance, like loft bedrooms, little loft bedrooms. But again, you have to go ditzy because obviously you're probably joining walls on angles, which can be quite Oh, I see. So quite it has difficult. the pattern. Yes. Yeah, so you don't want a big pattern that's going to completely destroy at the corners. So, and also decorators just hate it. So ditzy little prints up there. But feature walls, she asked, so I presume that's a no. You've answered Again, no, no, it's a no for me for feature walls of wallpaper. Okay. No. But again, if you, if you love a wallpaper, just go for it. If you're afraid of it being too overpowering in a room, do dado height panelling. So that's sort of hip height panelling. Yep. And then up, do up to the ceiling, do your wallpaper. And then do a nice complementary colour from the wallpaper on the ceiling. Or on the, the panelling. I was going to ask about that with the panelling. So say you've gone, my old favourite, downstairs loo, and you've gone for a really dramatic, I presume quite small print, because you've said small mm-hmm. room, small print. Yes. Um, do you pull out one of those colours and yeah. do the woodwork? Yes, yeah, so if it's a three, if it's a if it's a three colour print. Yeah. And say it's got a little bit of blush pink in there. Okay. You could bring that blush pink onto the panelling below. And would you do fan. that on the ceiling? No, sometimes even more fun in downstairs loo is then take, say, the other colour was, I don't know, light blue. Yeah. Take that light blue and put it on the ceiling. Oh, so you go it's two different impactful. colours. Yeah, you can do that. It's How exciting. Yeah. And then again, the you know, the mirror that you might use could have a bit of fun in it or the lampshades that you use on the wall lights or whatever it is. Wallpaper is really fun. We love wallpaper, but it's, it takes a lot of convincing because it is, again, something you have to live with. Mm. So I don't tend to ever do it in a room that you're in all day, every day. You'd never do it in a you know, in a primary room. I don't tend to it in living rooms, but a room that you're not going to use all the time, like a dining room or yeah. downstairs loo, which you are in and out of, but you're only in there for a minute or two, unless it's your husband. And then kids' bedrooms, a wonderful place to do wallpaper, dressing rooms. Yes, love wallpaper. I'm a huge fan. But love stripes and I love little ditzy small prints. Is there a room you wouldn't panel? Oh, I'd panel my car. 
Would you? Yes. Would you, given the choice, would you panel Mm. all rooms in a house? No, actually, I don't. No, we don't. We don't panel everywhere. And we we mix up the panelling that we use as well. So we use different types of panelling for different types of rooms, depending on the house and the style. You have to be considerate of the style of the house in the panelling that you use. Are there any rules about mixing sizes, patterns, prints, stripes, etc.? That's coming also from Clara Hammer. Mixing wallpapers, you you can always mix a stripe with anything. So a stripe you can always mix with pa- with pattern, any stripe. Just make sure the colours are complementary. So when you're using a stripe, if it's a sort of lovely burnt orange and neutral, then make sure that the, whatever the pattern is has got that sort of colour in it as well. So they sort of bleed through into each other, which is lovely. They hold hands. Because I think she's trying to do the, some wallpapering for her baby girl's nursery. Mm-hmm. Ah. lovely. When you were doing colour in a colour in a nursery, always use really soft calm colours you're thinking babies in a room that you want them to feel calm and it's nice and quiet so that's why we use in nurseries lovely blush pinks lovely soft blues lovely soft greens pastel colours warms lovely soft colours because it invokes a feeling of calm in our little ones babies and it's also a very easy colour to use as they sort of grow up okay this one's from charlotte hay after a bit of a shock of a year discovering a rather aggressive breast cancer two weeks after taking the keys for a ship pile we needed to renovate and experiencing mega chemo, radio, immuno, hopefully on the home straight now, but looking good. A year like that certainly makes you feel so grateful for everything you have and makes you reflect on all you see and hear. Jojo, please don't ever stop swearing. Please don't let a nasty few trolls get you down as any comments they make reflects far more on their state than yours. And please continue to be your fabulous, authentic self. Oh, that is so lovely. Polly, you have created the most fabulous, successful, professional business because, in capitals, you are a working mum, not despite it. That is your strength and superpower. Please have the courage to share as much or as little of your personal life as you feel comfortable with. And by doing so, you'll get to pick and choose the clients that respect and connect with you. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. What's her name? Charlotte Hay. Charlotte. That is so lovely. Oh, Charlotte, I'm so sorry. What a shitter of a year for you. And that's just so generous. That's so, to even take the time to write that is just, and are you crying about now as well? I'm not crying. Thank you. That's really lovely. That is just, oh, how kind, how kind to spend your time saying nice things to us. Yeah. I know it sounds funny, but I'm always quite taken aback when people actually take the time to send us really lovely messages because I know it's very easy to, I think people are more inclined sometimes to say what they don't like or the negative things, but actually... That really is so lovely that you took the time to write that, and I'm so sorry for the year that you've that you've had. Awful, mm. just awful. Um, but these things you very very well. Yeah, these things are definitely sent to try you and get over. Oh, anyway, well, thanks, Andy. Isn't that lovely? That was lovely. Do you know so many people that have written in questions have talked about how much they love both of you guys, like oh, every okay. single person except for maybe one. Does this mean we can except for maybe one? And the people that gave us one star. <laughs> yeah, who does that? Who does that? Charlotte actually has a question. It's oh, on, okay. It's oh, on, good. I'm glad we can give bring her something it, back. Bring yeah. it. It's on decision fatigue. When you have an entire house, well, didn't she call it a shit tip, um, <laughs> and garden to design, a variety of design styles you love each, supported by a gazillion Insta or Pinterest boards, how do you see the wood from the trees and start making decisions? Can I stop this one? Please do. <clears throat> you're in bits. I know. Charlotte, you've left Polly in bits. <laughs> I know, well played. Like. Um, no, I just, I do just quickly want to say it, it and I said this recently, and thanks, that's probably in response to me saying that there were a few trolls that had said some unpleasant things. And it's, it doesn't take a lot to be nice. It doesn't take a lot to be kind. And in a very confused, messed up world that we live in, you, you get to choose who you follow. You choose what you eat. You choose what you drink. You choose who you follow. And you don't need to be bitchy just stop following just back off leave people alone be nice it's also very scary doing this it's scary it is it is scary the fear of judgment is a major major thing it's a real thing so thank you to everyone who always sends the loveliest messages and we feel very very hashtag blessed 
Well, she said. She said, right, uh, Charlotte, sorry. Question was, design paralysis is a major, major thing. When you buy a house and it's an entire project and you've got the garden, you're faced with a garden and a house. And first off, take a step back, take a deep breath and look at what you have. Look at that house, look at the garden and think about what it can be and how exciting it can be. So when you start planning, try not to get overwhelmed by what it is that you want. You can't have everything. Mm. You can have a little bit of everything. But I think follow your heart, know what you like and kind of stick to it. I always say start mood boards, however you want to do it, digitally or on paper, and start to get that get that picture that keeps coming back to you that you love and just think about what it is that you're using that can be timeless because it's very easy to fall into trends and fads and think, oh my God, that tile looks so fun and oh my God, I'd love to do that. But think about how you're going to live there for years and years and years and years to come. Think about timeless design and how it's going to grow with you. And then just try not to get overwhelmed by all the decisions and build on that one styling image it might be a picture that you've probably taken from house nine and Pollyanna Wilkinson garden design I imagine those probably are going to make up the entirety actually of your entire mood board and if not why not in fact why is there anything else (laughs) not that I know and then just go from there pick the pick the samples start to put little mood boards together for each room and just take it easy don't rush it don't rush things take your time yeah breathe just breathe but um, Charlotte, thanks so much. That was my favourite question, yeah? Yes. Okay, this one's, we're going to the exterior. Love your podcast, ladies. This is from Liv. How do you make Lelandii hedges, borders look nicer? I mean, Lelandii is awful. and, and um, Is this what I've got? Yes, that gigantic, that you're oh, out, gosh. I hope. Um, I, it's, it's a really difficult plant because it is a brilliant screener. And I understand mm. a lot of people put Leylandii in 10, 20 years ago. If you're not sure what that is, it's the massive dark green conifer. Very, very tall, very oppressive. Nothing will grow under it. So how do you make it look good? The only solution we found where we have to keep it either because it's the neighbours or because it's doing a really great job of screening something hideous is to uh, plant something in front of it. But I do not mean right up against its stems. Everything will perish because these enormous conifers are sucking the life out of the ground in terms of nutrients and water. So your best bet, and I don't know the size of your garden to know if this is possible, and if they have to stay, is to almost bring in a, a false boundary So you would bring in, for example, you could do a border, but it needs, it can't be against it. It needs to be further forward. So you might put in a pathway and then next to it, you've got a new hedge, for example. So the Leylandii is almost becoming a first boundary and you're installing a much more attractive hedge, such as a Portuguese laurel or a yew or a hornbeam far enough in that that's your new so to End create, of garden. almost create layers, like a layer. Exactly. In front of it. So your eye is going to, first of all, planting at ground level, then your hedge. And then you've probably, you're going to have a, a bit of dead space. And this is really only something you can do if you've got a garden big enough to essentially sacrifice mm. a run to it. Mm. Because nothing's going to grow so close to it. But it's a great way of maintaining your privacy, but giving you at eye level a far more attractive approach. But the trick is... You cannot plant up against it. And for God's sake, don't go hacking into it. If you cut Leylandii too much, it goes brown. And that there's no coming back from that. It just You'll just be staring at ugly brown conifer. So we've got time for a couple more questions. This one's from Phil. How to link the inside and out? Yes, Phil. Yes, Phil. Well done, Phil. How to link the inside and out? This is a really important question. Yeah. And this is what actually started. This is what started the ins and outs where we wanted to branch into this more because it's so important the marry of the inside and out is so important and I don't think people think about them enough together I think they think I'm going to do my house and then I'll do the garden later or I'm going to do my garden then I'll do the house later it's that the way to connect the two for instance usually you've always got one main front door and then at the back you've usually got bifold doors or French doors that go out onto your terrace from your living room, how you connect those spaces is so important. And therefore the materiality is key, I would say. And it's really thinking about the colours that you're using from the, especially from the hard landscaping into the hard areas of the house. We spend our life liaising with interior designers, 
architects or just the client in terms of our first question when we're looking at materials is what is going on in the rooms adjoining your garden it's often a kitchen and so we will feed off exactly exactly as you said the colors in that room so if you have a huge gray porcelain kitchen floor then we're probably going to look at a similar tone we we're not big on the the matchy matchy we don't often do exactly what you've got inside is going outside usually because that can be quite hard to achieve unless you're doing a porcelain it depends is the answer <clears throat> but we will try and match the tone yeah exactly so you might have timber on the floor a warm timber we will use a warm limestone outside so it's it's all about tonalities but not only is it about that flow of material and i really do reiterate it does not need to be the same material for it to feel cohesive it can be if you want that really sleek look but it's, it's quite also contemporary look that though. it's very contemporary so mm. it doesn't always work so it depends as long as the tones correspond but it's also about picking up materials in those rooms and taking them outside. Absolutely. So we'll look at your knobs, mm-hmm. for example, in the kitchen and see if we can marry them outside somehow. So we might use the same hardware on the outdoor kitchen or if there's going to be metal work, we might echo it. If you've got bronze lighting indoors, we might put bronze features into the garden. So it's all about having that same design language indoors and out. And usually, although not always, it starts with the interiors and we feed off it. Mm-hmm. Though in rare beasts, it is very rare. We get to do starts. it the other way around. Yeah, it's. I, th- I would say it's probably easier for an interior designer to feed off the exterior finishes than it is the other way around. Mm-hmm. I would tend to say. But I wouldn't say color in flowers though would have anything to do with the interiors. No That's one thing I, I wouldn't say any bearing colors that you choose inside don't have a bearing at all. It's more exactly as you say. It's the tone. tone of the materials that you're using on the sort of flooring, the metal finishes, the lighting tones is quite important. Yep. So always use warm white bulbs inside, use the same outside. Furnishings, the furnishings that you're using need to have a sort of somehow a connection in perhaps era. So that they're sort of sort of lovely metal outside, you still want that feel to kind of tie into the main house. It's exactly, it's design language. It all needs to design feel language. like it's come from the same It's not era, it's the, it's, yeah there's got to be a connection. For instance, if inside you had sort of lovely, quite traditional sofas and your interior theme was quite calm, traditional, you know, bit of colour in there. When you walk out of your French doors outside, it would almost feel jarring to suddenly see sort of white paving with a sort of glass and metal furniture. It would feel like really disconnected so it's it's definitely a sort of feel. I'm presuming if you've chosen one thing, you'll have an idea of what you like outside as well. Completely. it's it, They go hand in hand. If you have a beautiful old farmhouse and it's decorated in a very traditional way, you do not whack in an incredibly contemporary garden. It mm-hmm. would feel nuts. In much the same way, if you have a really sleek modern house and it's incredibly minimalist and all sort of shiny surfaces, we're not putting in a classic cottage garden with cobbles. It will look weird. So it is always about just making sure the design intent flows through the indoors and the outdoors. Exactly. Next question is from Sophie. What's the biggest mistake you see indoors and out? A classic would be coming in and a client has put in an enormous swathe of paving. I'm talking like half a tennis court worth of paving because they like to entertain. And so they wanted a big load of hard standing. Massive mistake. It's looking at your garden as if, I mean, you wouldn't do that to your house. You don't live in half a tennis court with all of your functions in one big open space. You have rooms, right? Per use, you have a room, you've got a kitchen, you've got a living room, you've got a playroom. Outdoors is the same. We would never just do a massive expanse of paving with no delineated use. We would divide up that space, whether it was changing the materials, introducing planting, even at the very least, dividing it up with some really big troughs or planters so that you had a designated use per space. Mm. We would preferably rather give you a few different rooms in your garden rather than one big old yeah okay expand so that's a classic mistake that's far too much paving mine I would actually say the number one for me poor design is is people not getting their proportions right Mm. so this is what I'm talking about where sort of the same is where especially when someone started from scratch or they might have built an extension like a kitchen extension and again 
the marry of a new kitchen extension in an old house, the amount of times I walk in someone's house and actually the house that's not done yet, but it's got the sort of all the traditional features and things that might people might not like, you then step through a threshold and suddenly you're in this modern box, totally different flooring, quite contemporary kitchen. The lighting levels are totally different to the rest of the house. It's so jarring mm. and it feels really uncomfortable. And then the kitchen itself is proportioned wrong somehow. Planning is everything before starting a refurb or a renovation. It's thinking about the size of your island, considering the space that you need to walk around the island. Can you go bigger with the island? The amount of times I see like a tiny little kitchen island and a huge kitchen mean little and then island. a tiny little kitchen dining table over here and this massive amount of space. Sometimes people think bigger is better. Yes. So they think, oh my God, I can get this amount of, you know, side extension. So I'm just going to go for it. And they have this whopping side extension, this modern side extension that's got zero character is badly proportioned. It's badly laid out. The doors, oh, here's a big one for me. Huh. Huge one for me is when people do a new extension, they instantly think massive bifolding doors, 10 meters of bifolding black doors. Right. You've got to think about where you're going to put your curtains and where you're going to put your blinds. But also, do you really want that great big glass bank of big black folding doors. I personally would divide the space and have, you know, um, painted pillars in between and then sectional okay. do doors. So have almost three sections of doors. So you've created instantly using those three doors and a huge extension. You've created zones. Yes. And, and an area that you can have lovely curtains and have an area that could be sitting, have an area that could be dining, have an area that's your kitchen. So the mistake is the same. Yeah, it's not Essentially, we're saying not, bad spatial planning. Bad spatial planning. Yeah. Mm, big one. Interesting. This question is from Lucy Pierce. I'm a trained interior designer and decorator, and I've always had a big confidence issue. It seriously held me back, even more so now that I've had two boys. I hear the mention of imposter syndrome a lot lately, and I would also love to hear your opinion or advice. I expect it's something that may resonate with many in the industry, or even the DIY lovers at home. Looking forward to hearing more. Love you both on the podcast. Sending lots of love and good luck. Lucy. Oh, I've got so much to say on this one. Okay, this could be a whole episode. I, first of all, your boys should be your superpower because you have a family and you have two little ones that you can look to and make proud. So use them as your inner fire. My children are one of my biggest drivers. So use them and as as you've got a family you're lucky enough to have you know this lovely little family use that as your your strength and then know that every single designer myself included you every designer I know that I speak to personally has imposter syndrome so I would say a lot of people in this industry do it is an aspirational career choice and everybody is different our tastes are different how we perceive things is different and therefore it feels like quite a big bad scary world and how you're going to get clients believe in yourself be authentic and have integrity in everything that you do and just don't get distracted by what everybody else is doing one of the most negative things that you can possibly do is constantly look at what everybody else is doing it's a bit like when you're scrolling on Instagram, as soon as you start looking at other people with these wonderfully aspirational lives, you can fall down a hole. What does that make you feel? You get that feeling down here in your stomach that makes you feel sad, sick, depressed, whatever it is. Stop doing that. Put your phone away. Focus on you. Focus on the things that make you happy and your boys. Grow your business without the distraction of what everyone else is doing. That is my number one bit of advice. Grace Wozluk has messaged in. Just found time to listen to this episode and want to say that every single word resonated with me. I actually cried. Oh. It was really reassuring to hear that even people who make it look easy also find it tough. I switched careers from publishing to interior design six years ago. I run my own small practice on my own and offer a full service, so I'm sure you can imagine what that entails. The loneliness and feeling of imposter syndrome is often overwhelming combined with looking after a 7- and 10-year-old. I just often feel like I'm not good enough. I completely get this. I mean, this is what Jojo and I probably bonded over the most when we first met. I am yet to meet another female in the business who doesn't admit to imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think that generally I find that men are probably better at blustering through or that my experience has been a lot of 
women are very happy to admit imposter syndrome. I think, uh, I, I don't know, just culturally, I've found women are more open to owning mm-hmm. that. I think that men are just better at hiding it. I think it's, perhaps we carry powerful. a little bit more empathy and worry, especially uh, both of these callers have had children. So they're mothers with children. Please look at Polly and I and know that both of us are where we are in our careers. And you might see us as these strong, badass businesswomen. But my gosh, we've been on our knees and we've been exhausted and in tears. And this absolute imposter syndrome has taken over both of us many times. Many. And more so when you first have children, I think, because you think, how can I do both? And again, it goes back to that juggle, that struggle of trying to manage both and being good at both and wanting so much and that urge to want to have a career and be proud of something that's not just looking after your children, but then also wanting to be with your children and, you know, and give them everything that they need as well. The the tug is so real and never, ever, ever beat yourself up for that because we're all in the same boat and everybody feels the same. We're all, all mums are in this together. Um, And I think there's, there's a huge amount of growth in owning vulnerability as well if don't let fear stand in the way mm-hmm. I think everyone's scared it's just some people are more ready to admit it than others and the ones that are, admit it are the ones that you will find that you bond with I yeah. think and you do and it, it does get easier and you do get stronger and you build up resilience and you're used to getting knocked down if Everything. in business actually as a starting out if you're in that, that place that I'd say Lucy and Grace and anyone else is don't be afraid to ask for help mm. don't be afraid to lean on people And I know I said about turning away from people that make you feel maybe jealous or you get that stirring of imposter syndrome. Don't be afraid to reach out to other designers and people in your industry and ask for their advice or their help. There are people out there like myself who will always try and give advice and help to people. You know, you've got to lean on each other. You know, women should lift each other up and we should empower each other. It's very easy to try and think I'm doing this on my own. I can do this myself. And it actually feels like design is quite a saturated industry, but there's saturated and then there's people that are doing it really well. And the two are quite few and far between. Right, dude, we've done six episodes. Six short and sweet episodes. I know. So that's, I mean, it's kind of the end, but I guess the question is, are we, is that the end? Are we going to carry on, Andy? Well, this is the thing, because when we started this, we only committed to doing six episodes. Mm -hmm. So for us to do more episodes, someone's got to pay for me here. Oh, Oh. Polly, that's so kind of you. Thank you so much. All right. How much? We We need to find a sponsor. Yes. So for us to find a sponsor, we need to have good ratings. Mm. Most importantly, we need really good reviews. Oh, yes. So that's, please, honestly, I know it's cringy and I hate asking this, but for that reason, we would love to continue. We'd love to continue to help. We would like to be the Trini and Susanna of the garden and interiors world so that we can help you more. But to give, 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 we just need a little receive. Yeah. And therefore, all we ask from you is that you like, subscribe, share with everyone you know. And we can hopefully continue to do this podcast for you guys. Because we bloody loved it. Because we've loved it. Oh, it's a lot of fun, isn't it, pal? We've laughed, we've cried. cried. I've made you cry today. I love that. I mean, bravo, because no one does that. never do that. Crack the old gal. Yeah. Oh, man, I'll miss you. If not, please just do it so I get to see Jojo more. Oh, I love you guys. Bye.